on Sunday mornings. We're in Mark's Gospel uh, doing a series of sermons we've called Good News in a Bad News World. And uh, we're constantly reminded that the bad news couldn't be worse, what terrible sinners we are, but the good news couldn't be better. What a wonderful saviour of the Lord Jesus Christ is. We've just read together the middle of Mark's Gospel and uh, chapter uh, 14, uh, where we find Jesus in uh, Gethsemane, in the garden of uh, Gethsemane, uh, the night before his crucifixion. He's come from the upper room, and he's on his way uh, to uh, the cross. And uh, we're going to focus upon one particular uh, part of this uh, narrative uh, this morning. As we take as our text, Mark chapter 14 and verses 44 and 45. Mark chapter 14 and uh, verses uh, 44 and uh, 45. Where Judas uh, betrays Jesus. In verse 44, he says what he'll do, and in verse 45, he does what he'd said. Verse 44, now Jesus' betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away safely. And verse 45, as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and uh, kissed him. What do you make of Judas Iscariot? What uh, should we make of Judas Iscariot? I must confess that I find him strangely uh, fascinating. I'm conscious that I've already uh, preached on him at least uh, four times in my 11 or 12 years as pastor here at Welcome Hall. But he's taking our attention again uh, this morning. Same character, different uh, sermon. Uh, This man, Jesus included among his disciples. This man, uh, Jesus uh, called a friend. This man who betrays uh, Jesus with a kiss. He seemed so close to Jesus, part of his inner circle, one of the faithful, a genuine believer. But he ended up so far from Jesus, betraying him to death, unable to live with himself, and taking his own Life. He is arguably the most tragic case in the entire Bible. He is not presented to us in the pages of Scripture as someone to emulate in any way, shape, or form, but he is someone from whom we can, should, and must learn. I'm calling the message from God's word this morning. The Judas in us all. The Judas in us all. 
Because however repulsive we may find him, this man represents a streak that is present in us all. And we need to think about what it was that led Judas to be who he was and to do what he did. That the things that so adversely affected him might not similarly affect us. Just two big points this morning. Number one, the danger of temporary impressions without permanent impact. The danger of temporary impressions without permanent impact. Clearly, Jesus, the man, his message, made an impression upon this man, Judas Iscariot. He was one of his disciples. He followed him for some three years. But this impression proved to be temporary rather than having a permanent impact. Let's explore this a little. Think about all that Judas had heard. He'd heard so many of the things that Jesus had said during his three years of public ministry. He'd heard sermons that Jesus had preached. He'd heard parables, stories that Jesus had told. He'd heard some of those very striking one-liners that Jesus would come out with as so often. For example, he had heard the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with those Beatitudes, sometimes called those Blessed Attitudes, where Jesus says things like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, who mourn and are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Ending with one of Jesus' parables, the story he told about the wise and and foolish builders. The two men, one who built his house upon the rock and, and the other who built his house upon the sand. And, and the one who built his house upon the rock, when the rains came down and the floods came up, the house on the rock stood firm. But the man who built his house upon the sand, when the rains and the floods came, his house fell flat. And Jesus said, that those who build their lives upon him and upon his teaching are like the man who built his house upon the rock. But those who fail to take seriously the person and the teachings of Jesus are like those who build their house, the house of their lives, upon the sand. Judas heard the sermons Jesus preached. And other parables, there are so many of them. He heard the, the one about the sower. When Jesus said a sower went out to sow. And the one man with his seed. And as he scattered his seed, the seed fell on various kinds of ground. And, 
And on some ground it was just snatched away. And, and on other ground it seemed to take root. It seemed to bear fruit. But it was only temporary. It wasn't lasting. And, and in the good ground it took root. And it bore fruit. And it brought forth a harvest. And Jesus said those are pictures of the different responses to, to his word. Some people it's in one ear, it's out the other. To mix our metaphors it's like water off a duck's back. Other people, it, it makes a temporary impression. But some, praise God, a permanent impact. Or the parable of the talents. About the master who gave to his servants talents, coins, pieces of money. And he gave to one ten and he gave to another five. And so it went on to the man who was given one. And they all went and they... Uh, made, put that money to work and they, they, they used it to produce, make more money except the one man with the one talent who simply buried his talent. And When the master returned he dug it up and he took it back and he said you're a hard man and here you are. And he was condemned for wasting the opportunity that he had been given. What opportunity Judas had been given. The prodigal son revealing the heart of our father in heaven towards lost sinners. That he is the one who is looking and longing for sinners like us to come home. The good Samaritan, the mustard seed, so we could go on. Judas Iscariot heard these parables, these stories that Jesus told. Or there were the striking one-liners I alluded to a moment or two Ago. Things like this. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Or I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Or this. I am the way, the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus teaching very succinctly there how if we would come to God and know Him as Father, then Jesus is the way, the only way, the way we must come. Jesus is the truth, the only truth, the truth we must believe. Jesus is the life, the only life, the life we must receive. Think about all Judas. Had heard. And we might think about all Judas had seen. He had witnessed. No doubt many of the, of the miracles that Jesus performed. During the three years of his public ministry. As he exercised his power over nature. For example stilling the storm. Bringing calm on the lake. Over sickness as he healed one and another many from various different ailments. His power even over death as he raised different individuals to life again. His power over evil as he cast out demons. Memorably on one occasion sending them all into a herd of swine so that they ran off down a hill and into the sea. I particularly... I'm drawn to Jesus' feeding miracles. I don't quite know why, but they've always struck me ever since I was a little fellow. 
Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus feeding the 4,000. Similar miracles, but distinct occasions. When Jesus took just a, a boy's packed lunch next to nothing, and he blessed it and he broke it, he gave it to his disciples to share among the gathered thousands and multitudes. And, and when they gathered up the scraps that were left over at the end, they had far more than they began with at the beginning. Judas Iscariot had witnessed as such things. But not just the, the striking standout miracles, but he'd seen how Jesus was with people. He'd seen his patience with people. He'd seen his strength, how he could be very robust, especially with the Pharisees and the like. He'd seen his gentleness, how he could deal so very tenderly with the needy. He'd seen his compassion, how he would be moved in his spirit and his heart would go out towards people. He'd seen his grief and how sin has ravaged people's lives, but also, for example, standing by the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Friends, think about what Judas had heard. Think about what Judas had seen and surely there had been times at least when Judas he was moved by what he heard and he was moved by what he saw but they proved to be temporary impressions the impressions came and the impressions went and there was no Permanent impact. Let me ask you, my friend, this morning. What about you? Oh, it's easy to talk about Judas, isn't it? He's long ago and he's far away. But what about you? Perhaps you come to church on a, on a Sunday morning. And you can see Christians, a local church family, who are, who are happy to be together. And there's a holy hubbub as we, as we gather ready, ready for worship. And, and there, there's something you see that perhaps you, you don't see in other places. And, and at least on occasions it, it moves you. But Judas would teach us it is not enough just to be moved. Or perhaps the singing. As we join in the singing of God's praise. And at least on a good day. Perhaps, perhaps there's something about it. And you think, these people, they, they believe what they're singing. And there's something going on here. And it moves you. <clears throat> Judas would remind us this morning that it's not enough to be moved. Or maybe communion. When you witness the Lord's table and there's the bread and there's the wine and we speak of the body of Christ broken for sinners and the blood of Christ shed for sinners and we focus in those precious moments upon our Savior's Calvary sacrifice and all that it cost him to make us sinners whole. 
And maybe there are times when the Lord's table is just like the weather forecast. You're there at the beginning and suddenly it's the end and you don't know quite what's happened in between. But there are other times when something touches you. When something gets hold of you. And you think about what's represented on the table. And it moves you. But what's Judas Iscariot teaching us this morning? It's not enough just to be moved. Or maybe baptism. From time to time we have baptismal services. We had one recently. Praise God, we hope to have another one before too long. They can be very moving occasions, can't they? As the candidates come into the water... And they answer the questions professing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we say upon your profession of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And down they go into the water and back they come up out of the water. And we join in singing together, thine be the glory, risen, conquering son. And you're moved. But what does Judas remind us of this morning? It is not enough just to be moved. Maybe you were watching that persecuted church video just a few minutes ago. And it's hard not to be moved, isn't it? Surely you don't have to be a Christian to be moved by a video like that as, as it goes from country to country. Slowly but surely climbing up 10, 9, 8, 3, 2, 1, North Korea. How Christians suffer in North Korea and in other such places. And it touches your heartstrings. And you're moved. But Judas teaches us it's not enough just to be moved. Or maybe the preaching. Sometimes perhaps you hear the preaching. And your mind's elsewhere and your heart's elsewhere. And you're totally disengaged. And you go home for lunch and if someone asked you what was the preacher preaching on this morning. You'd struggle to tell them. But there may be other times. Other times when the preaching captures your attention and you give it your best and you follow along and you hear what the preacher is saying and you understand at least something of what the preacher is saying and the realities of sin and salvation and judgment and mercy and heaven and hell and these things touch you and they move you and you begin to feel like you might become a Christian. But it's not enough just to be moved. I say this carefully, but it's true. There will be many in hell for all eternity who experienced temporary impressions, who were moved, but they were never genuinely saved. They were never truly converted but all those who shall be in heaven for all the forevers of forever will be those in whose hearts and in whose lives the Lord Jesus Christ 
and the message of his salvation made not a temporary impression, but a lasting impact. Judas's problem was that he settled for temporary impressions. May not that not be your case, your story, my friend, today. But may you seek lasting impact to be genuinely saved, to be truly converted, to be a real Christian. That's our first point, the danger of temporary impressions without permanent impact. And uh, the length I was on point number one, you'll be glad there aren't three. So here's point number two before we're done. The danger of outward conformity without inward change. The danger of outward conformity without inward change. This is related, but it's distinct from our earlier point. Judas knew all about outward conformity. He was one of the twelve, after all. And he convinced everyone he was genuine. When Jesus, earlier in this chapter, earlier in this evening before he died, recorded for us in the passage we read last time, was in the upper room with his disciples, and he said, one of you is going to betray me. No one thought it was going to be Judas. When Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, it wasn't, I say this reverently, as if they responded to Jesus, will tell us something we don't already know. It's obvious it's going to be him. They didn't know. He'd fooled them all. They all thought he was genuine. They didn't even have their suspicions along the lines of, well, it's got to be one of us. So I suppose on the balance of probabilities, do, do you think it might be him? They had no idea whatsoever. To their minds, it was no more likely to be Judas than it was to be any of the others. He knew all about outward conformity. They had no inkling whatsoever that Judas would be the one to betray their Lord. After all, he went where Jesus went. And he listened to what Jesus said. And he watched what Jesus did. And he seemed at least outwardly to do what Jesus asked. He knew all about outward Conformity. But the chilling reality, friends, this morning is this. He knew nothing, absolutely nothing, about inward change. They thought he loved Jesus. But in reality, he increasingly hated him. He didn't heed Jesus' warning early in his ministry when he said to his disciples, one of you is a devil. He indulged his own sin. He had charge of the money box and he was a thief, the Gospels tell us, and he would regularly help himself to what was in the treasury. Even this very night, he had spurned Jesus' kindness. 
As Jesus not only had washed the feet of the eleven, but he washed the feet of the twelfth. Think about that, friends. Just hours before Judas would betray him, Jesus took water and a towel and he washed his betrayer's feet and he dried in between his toes. And yet Judas had become so hardened that it didn't move him anymore. You see, the tragedy of Judas's case is this. That the more he was exposed to Jesus, the harder Judas became. And perhaps that shocks you. And there's a sense in which it shocks us all, doesn't it? But I put it to you that maybe it shouldn't. Because none of us can be indifferent to Jesus. And either we hear of Jesus and who he is and what he's like and what he's done and what he offers... And it softens our hearts. Or it will harden them. And Judas was not softened, but rather hardened by his personal, up-close experience of the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you again, my friend, this morning. What about you? What about you? Outward change, outward conformity rather, or inward change? You see, mere religion is all about outward conformity. It's about appearing to be the right thing on the outside. But true Christianity is all about inward change. It's about truly being the right thing on the inside. Outward conformity. You decide you need to look like a Christian, whatever you think a Christian should look like. You decide you need to sound like a Christian, whatever you think a Christian should sound like. You decide you need to behave like a Christian, whatever you think a Christian should behave like. And subconsciously at least, you make yourself feel better by seeking to outdo others in all these areas. But inward change is so very different. Inward change is all about the heart. It's all about loving Jesus It's all about wanting to be more like him. It's all about desiring to live to his glory. It's all about being burdened to point others to him. And yes, inward change will show itself outwardly. But it is no mere outward conformity. It is inward change which cannot but be seen on the outside too. Oh, friends that the Lord might deliver each one of us from outward conformity, and that we might know inner change. I ask you this, whether you're not yet a Christian and you're seeking to become one, what are you seeking? Is it mere outward conformity or is it true inward change? I ask you, my friend, if you've been a Christian for decades, what's your experience? 
What's your priority? Is it outward conformity or is it inward change? I'll be honest, friends. There was a time in my Christian life and in my Christian ministry when I was too interested in outward conformity. And though I didn't realize it at the time, I look back now and I realize I wasn't half as interested as I should have been in inward change. Outward conformity is no use. Inward change is what's necessary. We must wrap up. These two big points this morning. The danger of temporary impressions without permanent impact. The danger of outward conformity without inward change. Let me ask you this morning, how will you respond to Jesus? Judas, in our text, he betrayed him with a kiss. Psalm 2, back in the Old Testament, talks about kissing the son. This is how the second psalm ends. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. What that verse is saying in brief is that Jesus is rightly angry with us on account of our sin, but he offers to save us, and we can come and trust in him, turn from our sin, trust in him, his life, his death, his resurrection, all that he is, all that he's done to save us, and it likens our action of trusting in Jesus Christ to kissing him, giving him our hearts, giving him our lives. But Judas shows us this morning there are two ways of kissing Jesus. If I can put it this way, would you kiss Jesus hello like the psalmist? Or would you kiss him goodbye like Judas? And all oh, that your kiss might not be the kiss of goodbye, but all oh, that your kiss might be the kiss of hello. That you would see this Lord Jesus Christ as the one who came from heaven and went to Calvary and experienced betrayal by one of his disciples and suffered in your place and for your sin and rose victorious, triumphant from the dead. And you would think, how could I turn from this Jesus? How could I settle for a temporary impression? How could I settle for outward conformity? I need permanent impact. I need inward change. I need this Jesus to be my saviour. And I come to him and I run to him and I fly to him and I fall at his feet and I kiss him and I repent of my sin and I trust in him and in him alone that this Jesus might be my Jesus. Oh, may God do that for you this morning.